occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? got a great show today. We got the golden voice of MMA. He's called hundreds of thousands of fights over the years since 1997, and he's arguably the best play-by-play man in the business, lending his golden voice to the most iconic fight that have ever happened. Please welcome Mr. Michael Goldberg. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Mike. How are you, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great. Better now that I'm here with you, Mike. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. If we're going to get started, I guess we should say, like, here we go or that one dude used to say with rogan all the time you know him who was he what was his name goldie or something goldie and rogan like i'm not a guy mike who walks it my dad used to tease me all the time we'd be sitting eating dinner or something and mm-hmm. he'd ask the waiter like do you know who he is and i don't be like no <laughs> then the waiter why am you see you're not that famous are you like i'm a hockey player i don't need like right. yeah i'm like okay dad really like come on but then if people kind of like how, how do I know you? Like you can like, see him looking well, at you, cockeyed. You know, yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. I know the look. I know the stop and the stare. And right. I go, well, you know Joe Rogan? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know Goldie and Rogan? Oh yeah, Goldie and Rogan. Here we and we go from there. And it's pretty funny. My my son, you know, is pretty active on social media with like Twitch and gaming and things like that. And yeah. of course, hockey is a big passion in our family. And he'll get people from time to time that finally figure it out a few weeks, sometimes a few months into it, because his handle is ASAP Goldie on Twitter. And then they're like, Goldie, Goldie on TV, Cole Goldberg. And you know Mike Goldberg? Yeah, I've known him since I was born. (laughs) Oh, bullshit, dude. (laughs) Cole's like, um, yeah, he's my dad. He's been my dad like my whole life. It's pretty cool. And then Cole will be like, dad, this dude so fired up can you send him a message or you know hit him up on twitter or something and oh and that's cool because that i i love giving back to the people who've been so kind to me over the years mike and yourself included with the nice intro so thank you you're very welcome very much deserved me and my brother we were talking about it and we were just saying how much we missed you calling the fights we described it as it was like you were in the living room with us like how excited you were you were as excited as we were does that make sense absolutely and and that's the ultimate compliment because that was always my goal and will continue to be my goal is to not speak to the masses but to speak to the masses one at a time so speak at mass not to the masses And I want to be in your living room and then the living room next door and across the street. But I was taught very, very early in my career, Mike, that when I look in that camera, I should see only one person on the other side. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't think about this or that or where they are, what they're doing. I should just think of one person listening to me or listening to Joe and I, or if it was Bill Clement and I during my, my hockey days or whomever or whatever sport I was doing that Mm -hmm. I should be entertaining that one person at a time. And so for you to say that, you know, I always talk about guys like the, you know, the, the Jack Bucks and the Marty Brennamans and the Ernie Harwells and Ernie Harwells and obviously Vin Scully's of the world, 
will be in that warm, fuzzy blanket and it's got the holes in it. You get a brand new blanket, but it just itchy and you don't want it. Yeah. You want the old fuzzy blanket. That's your blanket you've had your whole life. That's what I've always, you know, kind of strive to be is the one that everybody wants I don't know, snuggle with is probably the wrong word, but <laughs> the one that everybody's comfortable with and the yes. one they want to enjoy when they're having a moment. So you want to be that warm, fuzzy blanket because you know that people gravitate to your voice, gravitate to your excitement. And uh, I've always said over the years, Mike, that, you know, in the, in the sport of MMA and combat sports, I did it for the two Fs, for the fighters and the fans, mm. because I always and will continue to do my best to properly represent the fighters, the hard work and sweat that the men and women put into the sport to get to the level of the UFC or Bellator, some of the top organizations in the world, other organizations that I've been able to work with, and also to entertain the fans. Because for a long time, you guys were paying to watch. Everybody was paying to watch. Yeah. Now, you know, it might have been two bucks a piece and everybody, you know, the other six people bought the pizza and the other eight people brought the beer. Yep. But you were still paying to watch. And <laughs> so it was always very important to me to, to respect and represent the fighters and their backstories. Because Randy Couture Fight 2, Randy Couture Fight 22 is not the same human being. Right. And to entertain people like yourself one at a time. So that that is a great compliment. Thank you. Yeah. Is that something you learned over your career or that was what you were told like going into it? Um, both. Both. Mm -hmm. I it was something that I was guided towards early in my career. Well, when my career really started to kind of shoot up when I when I got to ESPN. Mm -hmm. in the uh well it was a few years before i started the ufc it was in the mid 90s and i was doing the nhl on espn played hockey my entire life mike it was mm. a flyers fan growing up as a kid where i grew up in north Olmsted, ohio we were orange and black uh flyers mm. colors i was born in 1964 do the math i was 10 years <laughs> old you had the broad street bullies uh, so i'm doing a book report on this dude from flin flan manitoba Bobby Clark with the knee, don't forget. They go running into my mom, age 10. I go, mom, 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 how do I become diabetic? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about, son? Bobby Clark has diabetes, mom, and he's my hero. I'm 16, he's 16. I need to be diabetic. My and gosh. Yeah, so Clarky was my guy. So oh, to work man. with Bill Clement, mm -hmm. oh, like the best. And then to work with Bill Clement at ESPN, I idolized him as a member, a young member of those Broad Street Bullies teams, but as a broadcaster over the years, he was, you know, he was the gold standard. Mm -hmm. And if it was with Mike Emmerich, you know, on like Sports Channel America, or then the many years with Thorny, with Gary Thorne on ESPN, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
that camera is the third person. So you're not going to just look at me. You're not just going to look at the camera because if you think of like a triangle, a conversation, like if it's you and I, Mike, and then somebody else standing to my right or your right, mm -hmm. you're not going to keep one of the people left out. So that that's how I kind of found that foundation and built on it and took it to heart and um, always strive to do that and to bring it to each person one at a time. Billy once told me, he said, Goldie, they don't hang on our every word. They don't. You just, if you have energy and enthusiasm, if you're having fun, and when the puck is in the neutral zone, he comes across the blue line, top of the circles, hold the big shot. People are going <laughs> to stop what they're doing in the kitchen and they're going to come and watch the game. Yeah. Well, then I got to the UFC and it was pay-per-view and people were watching. They had paid and there was social media. And then I realized <laughs> Billy wasn't entirely right. They were waiting for me to say one freaking thing wrong. I, I'm better at it than I was initially <laughs> when it happened. First time a few people told me I sucked and, you know, that no longer be on this earth with a microphone attached to my head. I'm really well with my response, but, you know, I'm better now. Is that the infamous uh, football one? Is that what happened? That was the worst. Yeah, that that's on me, though. And I've admitted that over time. During the UFC, early on, when, when Twitter first came out, I would spend maybe an hour a night mm -hmm answering every single person who reached out because it made their day. There was a, there was a real family feel almost to social media at first. Oh my God, Mike Goldberg responded. What a cool dude. Yeah. And I was taking time away from my kids and my family to do that. But I'm the kind of person who, who I understand how blessed I am. I've worked my ass off to get to where I am, yeah. but I want to give it back. I, I want to give it back. And I want to appreciate those who appreciate me and yeah. you reach out, say, Hey, Goldie, da, 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 I'm going to answer them. So I, I did that for a while. And then it started to get toxic. As you know, mm -hmm. our world got toxic. Yeah. You know, I started to use the line, like get out of your parents' basement with your sticky fingers. Yeah. I thought that was clever. And <laughs> one night I went on a tirade in Vegas after UFC and my daughter was like 14 years old, Mike. Mm -hmm. It's like three in the morning. She goes, Dad. Yeah. Dad, is your password for Twitter still the same? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're being an asshole. What? <laughs> being an asshole, Dad. Oh, no. No, it was great. She oh. went on my account and she deleted like... 20 stupid things that I'd said. He would have been standing next to me outside of the stadium in Minnesota <laughs> before I pressed that green button on that tweet after that NFL game. Because I might still be doing the NFL on Fox. I know I didn't have a good game, Mike, but it wasn't that that didn't prevent me from doing the game the next week that I know I would have been zoned in on because I would have right. gotten the rust off. Um, what a good daughter. And, and I just, by react, the way. yeah, she was, she, she got it. Yeah. It's just noise. That's yeah, just noise when it's not your name, Tiara. Yeah. <laughs> she's right. Yeah. And, um, hey, wait, can you explain what happened real quick? I don't even really know the story. Going back to when, like way back, being very transparent to when there were rumors when I missed the one UFC that I missed and mm -hmm. there was an unnamed source that had erroneous claims of addiction and, and all, all these different things. And all the mainstream media kind of took it and ran with it. Oh, and we tried to get them to reveal their source and they wouldn't do so. And yeah. at that point, you know, it is what it is. And, and right. I knew what I was dealing with. I was going through a, a, a tough separation and a, an eventual divorce. 
mm. uh, which was the cause of, you know, me getting run down. Yeah. Um, but this one group just kept hammering me, hammering me. And it was uh, Therese Owens was, was what it was, TherezeOwens.com or something. Mm-hmm. And so after the football game, and again, I, I know I didn't have a good game. I over-prepped, and I just mm-hmm. got muffled and jumboed. I was okay, Mike, with people saying it wasn't a good game. Like that, I, I'm a big boy. I, yeah. I, you know, we all have bad nights. When you get towards my preparation, that's when I got defensive. Oh, okay. Because I actually prepped my ass off, and then I see this tweet from Therese Owens, now it's on Twitter, something, something, something about prep, and I just said, fuck off. Okay. And unlike the MMA world or others, the NFL world is under a, a whole different scale of microscope. You know, it, it backfired. I had great support from people at Fox, and they said to me that they were really doing me a favor because if I would have done the game again the next week, Everybody in the world would just waited and waited and waited for me to make my first mistakes so they could all dog me again. So it wouldn't have been about Buffalo and Minnesota. It would have been about Mike Goldberg and how long will it take until he fucks up on the air doing the NFL. But, you know, it was the prep thing and it was that person. But it wasn't the only tweet I sent out. And I learned a very, very hard lesson um, because I had worked for years to get to the level of doing the NFL on Fox. I had done sidelines for years. I'd done a ton of college football, preseason for the Arizona Cardinals. Went over to NFL Europe three times. Oh, wow. Which is the training ground to move towards the NFL on Fox. Finally get my game. Didn't go well. And I, it's my bad though. At the end of the day, I'm the one who wrote it and I'm the one who pushed the button and I paid a big price for it. And uh, I learned a big lesson, and it's one that I share with people. It's one, much like I am, you know, with you right now, Mike, that I'm being very honest and transparent about. And, yeah. uh, you know, was, you know, sometimes you really got to get punched right in the face to, to learn that, you know, you were messing around, you know, just missing getting kicked in the head. I had to get punched in the face to realize I had to keep my hands up because I was leaving myself vulnerable to some things that weren't going to be great for my career. And that was, you know, interacting with the trolls on social media. And uh, I haven't done it since, but again, at the end of the day, it it was my fault. I reacted. I'm the one who sent it. We used to say I coached for years. I coached hockey Mm -hmm. and, you know, the boys were always on social media and, you know, our, our head coach and I, we would always, would always tell the boys is and they're in their teens. We would say, here's the deal. You're a junior sun devil. You're representing yourself. You're representing this team. You're representing our organization. Mm -hmm. So when you post something on social, before you send it, think about, would you send that to us as coaches? Mm -hmm. Would you send that to us? And if you wouldn't send whatever it is, whatever picture, whatever you guys are thinking about posting, if you wouldn't send that to one of us coaches, you probably shouldn't post it. Mm. And if I would have lived by that moniker on that (laughs) Sunday afternoon, (laughs) or if Kiara would have gotten there quick enough and deleted it, you know, I might be, you know, I might be the number two guy behind uh, Buck and Aikman right now. You just don't know, (laughs) but it's all good. It's all good. I've, uh, you know, the good thing is 
that I admit it. I can look myself in the mirror and know that I was the one who did it to myself. I've learned from it. I've become a better person. And if I can prevent others from going through what I went through by making a dumb mistake like I did, Mm -hmm. then is it worth it? I don't know if it'll be worth it, but (laughs) I can certainly try to make sure that others in the world who get to a certain point in whatever they do, Mike, you know, yourself as a stand-up comedian, I mean, you get that instantaneous feedback, um, which isn't always that (laughs) admirable. Um, Like Joe would say all the time, the worst thing, the worst feeling in the world is to be on a stage trying to be funny when people don't think you're funny. Nothing worse than that because yeah. you don't have a camera to hide behind. So if I can save somebody else from it, Mike, it, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. But at least I can talk about it now and I can accept it and take responsibility for my mistake. And I think, I, I hope that says something about the character that, that I try to display as a, as a father and as a professional and as a person. I think it does. And it probably took some time to get to that point because I imagine that was probably r- pretty tough. Yeah, it wasn't my fault for a long time. It was everybody else's. I gotcha. <laughs> you know, it did. But it felt a lot better overall in life since I've been able to understand the bigger picture. And now I wouldn't say when I fire back, but when I do engage with some jackass on social media, I'm very comical about it. And I'm, Mm. I'm very non-confrontational, but I've always considered myself a red belt in wit and I can blow these dudes away with my wit. Right. So I'll throw something out there that just gets the masses to support me. Like, oh, dude, you need to shut up. Goldie just owned you. (laughs) So now it's fun. Now it's fun. And I'm doing it in a way where I'm not losing any jobs in the process. <laughs> and you said you hoped I saved some good material for you. Right. This is this is pretty in-depth material right here, Mike. So yes. Just for you, brother. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. So I don't have Twitter, but I was looking what it would show me on your timeline. I was actually going to point that out, what you just said. Like the stuff that you come back with when people are trying to maybe, you know, nudge you. Or even bad talk someone else. Like you won't do it. You will not go anywhere near it. And I really like that about you. Yeah. um, I I used to joke that, you know, a few hundred stitches in my tongue over the last few years, you know, (laughs) it it hurt a little bit. A couple of shots of Novocaine when they stitched me up, biting through my tongue eight or 900 times, but it it beats coming (laughs) off as a jackass and lowering myself to the, to the level of others. And just not that person. It's, it's not the person that my mother and father raised a great interest in and coach Erickson as I played youth hockey, my coach Ian Cushman, who passed a few years ago was on the 1958 mm. Montreal Canadian Stanley cup championship team. He was, wow. old, yeah, he was as old school as it gets, Mike, if he wasn't screaming at you, he wasn't yelling at you. And if he wasn't yelling at you, he was shouting at you. If he stopped talking to me, then I had a problem. Right. They didn't care anymore. And I used to, ha- I had to impress that upon my players when I coached, but I, did not coach like Ian coached because kids aren't the same as they were before. Yeah. And Billy Clement talked to me a little bit. You know, you got to push and pull. You got to kick because I'm kick them in the ass once in a while, but you got to hug them too. Cause you can't, if you, if you coddle them, they'll never get past a certain point. But if all you do is beat them down, it's going to fall upon deaf ears. At one point I was coached to win with class and to lose with more class. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it, it, to me, the greatest thing in sports is the end of a playoff series in the NHL is handshakes. 
Yes. Because that, it's a microcosm of an MMA match, if you will. Right. It's a microcosm of months of Conor McGregor saying, who the fuck is this guy when he <laughs> shakes the hand of his opponent, win or lose, yeah. and gives him credit for the victory, even if the victory isn't the one that he earned. When he gets beat, Conor has always owned it. Yeah. And that's something people need to realize. And if you, if you think about it right now, I know you're going – Damn, Gold, you're right. Connor's always owned it. Yeah. And so I was raised. And so no, I'm not I, I'm not gonna throw stones. And and I also look at it, Mike, like this is nobody's had a perfect path. And we've all oh. done wrong in life. But if I'm out there bitching about things in the past, why is the next person gonna be interested in hiring me? Because all they see is this whiny little dude who can't get over. <laughs> this chick who broke up and dumped him in eighth grade that how are you appealing to that next potential opportunity if you're just dealing with everything in the past so i i have an expression wow. that you know they talk about the rearview mirror mm -hmm. you know i don't think you can I, people say lose the rearview mirror i i don't think that's entirely accurate right i think you keep the rearview mirror you just can't stare at it but once in a while you got to look in that rearview mirror and remember the mistakes that you've made in the past and the lessons that you've learned and don't do it again Yeah. or do it better than next time. So don't lose the rearview mirror, but don't stare at it either. Dang, that's good. if you good. lose it, you're going to make the same mistakes. And right. if you stare at it, you're going to have a head-on collision with a wall and it's not going to go well. Uh, right. You're going to be right in the airbag. So, so glance at it. That's remember good. Remember the things that, you know, that you did. I mean, more than anything, you know, I was one of, over 120 people that were let go when the UFC was sold to William Morris. Their first interest payment was $170 million. Whoa. And people look at me like, Goldie, Goldie. Well, that's because I was the one in your living room. Right. I'm no more important than the merchandise guy who lost their job or the social media person or the assistant matchmaker, whoever it was. Right. I, no, important, no less important. I still, though, I look in the mirror and I go, what can I do better than I did in my 19 years at the UFC? What could I do better when I went to Bellator? What can I do better when I go to my next place and my next place? Because that's really all that we can control in life is ourselves. And right. so you got to take that little glance in the mirror and say, all right, this happened because of this and that. And okay, that sucks. And it shouldn't have happened. I was there a long time. And Joe and I were iconic, quote unquote, somebody else saying it, not yeah. me. No, you are. But thank you. But thank you. Like, sincerely, thank you. But it happens. And you, you have to learn from it and build on it and, uh, and grow. And, yeah. and I'm a father. And at the end of the day, what I do, uh, my kids watch real closely and more closely than, and your children are young, as you and I talked about before we got started officially yeah. here. They're watching, trust me, bud, they're watching a lot more than, than we know. Yeah. And uh, it's important to me that they see me do the right things. And their mother and I still get along because we are their parents. And if we're not together, that happens in life and our kids understand that, but it doesn't mean that we didn't love each other and it doesn't mean that we love them any less. End of the day, the legacy that I leave um, are Kiara and Cole, and nothing is more important than that. Nothing. Yeah. Is this something that's always been with you, or is this something that's kind of come more over time, do you think, like this outlook on you know, it? You know, Mike, I think it's always been with me. I just believe that over time, I've understood it more and embraced it more and mm. finally realized that 
because I was in this like bright light in the spotlight that I didn't have to be perfect and that people would still love me if I messed up and if I said prodigy and if I said that Anderson's precision was precise that we can laugh about it now. Right. You know, my blooper reels on, you know, YouTube are four minutes long. Last time I checked, I called 4 million minutes of fights. That means that (laughs) I had a lot of good fucking minutes on yeah. here, you know? Hell like, yeah. Where are, those, where are those highlights, people? <laughs> right. But that's no fun. No. That's no fun for people to put together. <laughs> Another epic fail for Goldie. <laughs> no. I, it, it's always been in me, but it, it takes time and it takes maturity. Yeah. It takes really making mistakes and getting stumbled up and, and stepping back and, and putting your ego aside. And, and accepting the fact that you are a role model to many and that it starts with my kids and I want to be somebody that they're proud of and I want to be somebody else that people go, wow, man, I listened to Goldie on Mike's podcast the other day and some of the stuff he was saying, man, he, that's a, he's a really cool dude. Forget inside the, uh, that's a real person, man. He's a, he's a cool dude who's got values. He's got class, he's got character and he cares about people. And at the end of the day, that's the greatest tribute that anybody can give me or say about me. So it's a great question that you asked. It's something that's always been inside of me, but over time, just like everything in life, it's just taken time for it to come out in the right way Right. And I'm still working on it every day. I'm still working on it every day. Well, you're doing a great job. It sounds like. Thank you. Sounds like you've got Thank all the all the answers. Actually, <laughs> like these are well, this is yeah, really wise. I, I, I've talked for a long time about doing uh, a lot of motivational speaking. A really good friend of mine, Michael Burnoff, is he's just a rock star. And his who book is, is he? Called Average Sucks. Michael Burnoff is his name. B E R N O F F. And he's a Tony Robbins type personality. Oh, okay. Another hockey guy. I met him at Neuroforce One, where Cejudo and the boys. And we just hit it off. And I went to one of his communications seminars over the weekend and I showed transparency and I was like shocked. People reacted the way that they did. Mm. But my voice is one that resonates because people have had my voice in their home for years and years and years. And if Mike Goldberg made mistakes and if Mike Goldberg shows vulnerability, then it's okay for me to do so. And if I help one person by being real, that's pretty cool. And so it's something that I've always talked about wanting to do and something that I'm definitely, even the conversations we're having right now, this might open a half dozen people's eyes to the conversation, Mike, that you and I are having right now that it's okay. Admit you made a mistake. People are still going to love you. And if they don't, they probably didn't really love you in the way you deserve to be loved in the first place. So brush them aside, man. Leave them to their whatever they want to do. Doesn't make you a bad person. Just don't waste your time on that. Put your time into the people that will put their time into you and um, surround yourself by people who love you and people you love. And uh, try to leave something in the dad dash because, you know, they always say that we're defined by that dash on, on the headstone. You know, I was born in 1964. I hope to be around for a long, long time. But what did you do in that little dash in the middle of those dates? And that really sums it up. And uh, I guess as I've looked back and, and had the UFC go, you know, away after UFC 207 and some different things and a chance to kind of step back and see the forest and not be in the trees all the time, that I want to make sure that I do something worthwhile with that dash. 
that uh, that someday we'll have an end date. But again, I hope that end date does not come for any of us anytime soon. <laughs> yes, that was kind of that was kind of like depressing. Sorry. No, you're I mean, good. You're you good. Get my point, but it kind of it kind of well started to depress me. So <laughs> you you get my point, though, Mike. <laughs> no, I was yes, I was like lost in it. I was I was staring off like, oh my gosh, this Wait, is good. Sick? Like, what's up? <laughs> Wait, yeah, clear that up. You're not sick, right? I'm not sick. I just okay. want to make sure I do something in the middle of those dates. That's really deep. That's I like that. Now I've never talked to the dude who's the voice of Jimmy Neutron. So one <laughs> nothing you, Mike. I mean, damn. I should have done the intro for you. Jimmy Neutron's best friend. Here's Mike Jake. Oh, no. Here we go. Oh my gosh. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Hey, I do. I was so I was looking on the internet, and probably the most asked question on the internet. Do you know what it is about you? Um, no. Every Are his teeth real? Every <laughs> no, <laughs> no. This was everywhere I looked. This was the number one question on every site. It was: Are Goldie and Rogan still friends? Yes, we are, and we always will be. We will always have a bond. He will always be my powerful partner. He will always be a brother to me. And we shared a journey together that very few in life can say that they shared. Really, if you look at our particular journey of having the honor of being the soundtrack of a renegade sport that started with two men will enter the octagon, only one will leave. That when yeah. Senator McCain, may he rest in peace, said it was human cockfighting, yeah. he was actually bang on. He was right. That was the whole idea. And it wasn't Mike against Mike. It wasn't Goldie against Mike. It was jiu-jitsu against wrestling. Right. And it was the Tank Abbots of the world. Now, I love David Tank Abbott. Oh, love him. The best. But it, it became a mainstream sport. So, yeah. yes, Joe and I will always be friends. Joe and I will always be brothers. And anytime we text back and forth, it's like, love you, brother. Love you too, bud. Miss you. He was great to me. I was great to him. And we had this chemistry that few broadcast tandems in any sport have really had. You know, people have said in the past, like, you guys were like Summerall and Madden. Now to Joe, who's admitted many times he doesn't really care about any other sport, that means nothing to him. You know, right, like, right. He has no clue. I'm like, as a broadcaster, I'm like, holy fuck, did you just say I'm Summerall? Like, right. wait a second here. Come on now. And I'm, I'm an AFC guy, so I'm thinking, well, can we be Enberg and Olsen? I mean, when they're saying Summerall and Madden, Goldie, are the, Goldie and Rogan are the Summerall and Madden Hell yeah. of MMA. Are you, you can't give me? a sports broadcaster like myself any bigger compliment than that. Oh, so, that's got to yeah. be the best. Yeah. Joe and I will always be tight. There were tears, there were hugs, there were a lot of nice things said for many years and many seminal moments um, shared between Joe and I. But that last show wasn't easy for either of us. And it was a, uh, it was a difficult, difficult night for both of us, knowing that that was the end of an incredible journey that we had taken together that took us around the world and also put us in studios, voice and video games. And man, I, I have the utmost respect for him. I always have, and I always will. Like I said, we call each other powerful partner. 
And that dude will always be my powerful partner. He's, he's awesome. And I love him. I think that's what made you guys so good. Cause you could tell you genuinely liked each other and enjoyed being around each other. I think that's what made it so good. That's not always the case with, with broadcast teams. And there are some really good broadcast teams out there in sports where the commentators don't even talk to each other or look at each other other than when they're wonderful on the air. Really? Like they're basically, oh yeah, they're basically in commercial like, fuck off, I don't like, I hate this guy. Really? Um, absolutely. But wow. we, weren't, we weren't two of those. Right. And we would laugh and we, we had fun, man. And we would hit pads together and I would go to his comedy show all the time. He'd have a show on Fridays, whatever city we were in, I'd always go. It was my way to relax and be backstage and right. hanging out and laughing and chilling. And I remember we were in England and uh, Eddie Bravo, Delagradi and I, and Joe was on stage and he's going through his act. And so he starts talking about soccer or football as it is over there. And he goes on this tangent. You'll appreciate this as a comedian about how stupid it is to design a sport where you don't use your hands because <laughs> Like God gave you these hands, like, and you know, Joe, like, why the fuck wouldn't you use your hands? Why does the goalie get to use them? And it, like, and it, it gets, it, it actually got, it got kind of quiet in there. Oh no! I'm like, oh yeah, hell yeah! And then, and then he went to the monarchy. And I look at Eddie and I go, should we go? Like, dude, like, now I got. Eddie Bravo, who oh. could, you know, crackhead control, you know, he's oh, a good yeah. bodyguard. Telegrandi's oh, yeah. going to head kick him. I was safe. <laughs> and if Joe had to be there, he could protect me as well. I would have ran and got my skates and said, take off your jersey. Let's go, bitch. <laughs> oh, seriously, it got really quiet. I did. I looked at oh, Eddie. I was like, gosh. bro, like, you can't, like, oh, you got into football. Okay. But now the queen? Oh, they love the queen. Does it work? Right. Oh, my God. I was like. <laughs> This is getting uncomfortable. What does he do? How does he get out of this? Well, well, yeah, like, you know, Joe, he could care less, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, he just kept powering on. And (laughs) I don't know what the next joke was, but he he got that hook back in him and everything turned out fine. Oh, But it was uh, tense for a moment or two. (laughs) (laughs) Those are always the best, like, afterwards. At the time, they're... Awful. Yeah. Well, you would know being up there, right? You, you yeah. throw something out there and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I didn't know that that person was their sister. Whoa, don't don't even talk about Princess Di. Like, yeah. don't, don't, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. Yeah. No. Even if it's 10 minutes of compliments, somebody's going to get pissed. Right. Somebody's going to get mad. But <laughs> that's why he's got a $100 million podcast and... You and I are trying to make a hundred million great points right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're going to talk for a hundred million seconds. <laughs> That's the only way I'll get close to that. No. Hey, a dollar podcast. If we can do it a hundred million times, let's rock and roll. Brother. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Have you had any moments like that broadcasting where you say something and then your partner goes quiet? You don't know oh. how to get out of that moment. Well, so the one thing about Joe that goes off the broadcast books, that that handbook, that magic handbook that you're supposed to have is that you never correct your partner on the air. Well, Joe missed that page. <laughs> because usually what would happen is, Mike, you might say something and then I would get in talk back. I'd be like, Brucey, 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 yeah. tell Mike that actually, you know, Pedro Hizzo, his last fight was against Maurice Smith that wasn't against whatever. And then yeah. you, like smooth where Joe be like, no, wrong. No, nah. like my Michael, 
Like Travis Luter, the Michael Jordan of jiu-jitsu. No. Scotty <laughs> Pippen? No, I don't know what the fuck you're trying to say. Okay. The one that I remember the most was we're, we're in a fight. I'm looking down at my bio. The fighter had won by a triangle. And before that, he had won by Kimura. And I just took a quick glance down. And again, a million words later, I said, choked him out by Kimura, which is impossible. Quickly let the world know, right. myself included, because I was sitting next to him. How do you choke somebody out by Kimura? Like, fuck, dude. Like, I'm thinking to myself, Joe. Come on, bro. Three other people <laughs> noticed, man. And now 300 million noticed. <laughs> to this day, I wish, Mike, I had my red belt on that night. And I should have said, I don't know, dude. You're the black belt. You tell me. <laughs> That's what I wish I would have said. Yes. And he would have laughed. He would have loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. One time we were we were pumping one of his, uh, his DVDs for his... Uh, his comedy shows early on when they were doing the DVDs and we, you know, yeah. get the Joe Rogan experience live from Atlanta and you know, the DVD three for $20, da, 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 da. And we yeah. come back and I go, Joe Rogan, funniest man I have ever met. And he goes, nah, come on, Goldie, that, you know, you know, that's not true. I go, no, it's not true. I'm <laughs> and we cracked up. Like he loved it. He loved it. I think I so, remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, when <laughs> like the, the laugh on like his, and the smile on his face was, Sincere. I mean, when I couldn't say prodigy, the look on his face was like, what? <laughs> and you look at some of the silliness that we might have had on camera, like, I just want to be a Joe Rogan. And he looks at me like I've got a third eyeball on my forehead, but it's it's with love. It's with like, what are you what are you trying to say, dude? Like, what what did you eat? Like right. those normal mushrooms in your spaghetti? So yeah, there were definitely moments where. I would get in the talk back and I'd be like, Bruce, I'd be like, does he always need to call me out? Like, can we say something about the hundred things they just got right? Right. And then Bruce and I, you know, Bruce and I'd laugh on the talk back and we would just move on forward. There was the one that somebody was in a fight. There wasn't anybody really in the, the stadium yet or the arena in Vegas. And, you know, it's like Mike's coming in for the first time and he's making the walk to the octagon. He's walking up the steps towards the octagon, touching the cage for the very first time, feeling the canvas for the very first time, shaking out his arms, getting ready for his first fight here inside the world. And Joe goes, dude, man, you are really trying to sell this, aren't you? And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, my job. Kinda, yeah, I kind of am, Joe. And you just made it even that much more difficult. But it was fun because we were laughing about it. And I think that's that's what the people love the most. There were so many times, Mike, that Bruce Connell, you know, my dearest, dearest friend and, and one of my true brothers in life who passed way too young a few years ago and is by far one of the greatest losses in my life because mm. not only did I start with him in the 90s at ESPN, not only was he the one who got me into the UFC, but he was – one of my best friends. He was my best friend. We did so much together on the road. Uh, my family and his family, and I'm still close to his family, very, very close. And his son, Tyler, and I are like picking up the relationship. They'll never be the relationship that Brucey and I had, but it's pretty damn close with his son, Tyler. And Tyler keeps Bruce's spirit alive for me because after a drink or two, Tyler says some shit just the way his dad does. And I'm like, yikes. Like, it's, it's <laughs> awesome. Freaks you out. Yeah, it's that's awesome. awesome. And, and Tyler grew up watching Brucey and I do our thing and knowing how much I cared about his father and how much I care about his family and how tragic 
the loss at that age at 62. I believe oh. Brucey was 62 when he passed. And, you know, Bruce and I would just, we would have these moments where we would just be together and do things and laugh. But there were so many times he would get on the talk back and he'd be like, all right, guys, reel it in, bring it in. Cause Joe and I'd just be out in la la land. Just <laughs> like, okay, this is the 14th fight in the last 16 days, Bruce. Boys, there's a fight going on. Yeah, but we're way funnier than that fight is. Bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, boys. Back to the action. All right, Mr. Fun Police. Right. You know? Like you said, that was always the fun. And for us as viewers, I think those were the times that we remember. Like you're saying some of the, and I remember them like almost like they were yesterday. So those yeah. were the best times. Bruce Connell, is that what you, yep. is that his yep. name? Bruce so Connell. he got you the job at ESPN and at the USC. Well, I started at ESPN. I got the job at ESPN. I was doing ESPN hockey. So Bruce's father, Scotty, was one of, if there's a Mount Rushmore of ESPN, Scotty mm-hmm. Connell's on Mount Rushmore mm. of the Entertainment Sports Programming Network. Scotty Connell was at NBC. He was one of the guys who came over and they were going to do this crazy 24-hour sports programming entertainment network where there was a lot of fishing and checkers and chess. And, you know, we didn't even have, you know, beanbag games back then, or maybe they were different. But Scotty is a legend and was a legend in television. And the family is a big part of it. And CONCOM, which you've heard many times if you're a UFC fan, Mm -hmm. is Connell Communication. So Mm. Brucey was producing the UFC, but Bruce was one of the top producers at ESPN for years. And he started in the tape room. He worked his way up, just like his father did years before. So when I got to ESPN, Bruce was one of my producers um, doing hockey, doing the NHL. And that's when Bruce Beck was still doing the UFC and at MSG in New York. He was the sideline for the Knicks. Then he was the voice of the A-10. And, you know, he had all these different gigs. And so he could freelance do the UFC. Well, Bruce ended up getting the weekend job at Channel 5 in New York, which was a dream come true for him. It also meant he couldn't freelance anymore. Goldie, 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 got a gig for you. It's in Japan. You got to pay you this. Got to take a jiu-jitsu class. All right, cool. Right. And that's how it happened. Wow. And then, you know, December 21st, 1997. And for years, Bruce and I, after the show, we'd be having a couple cocktails going, man, let's enjoy it because I'm probably not going to see for a while because this thing's going bankrupt. Because this and, was 15, uh, right? You got in at uh, 15 and a half. I got in, yeah, like 15 like and a half, 16 and a half, right? I always get confused because Ultimate Japan never really had a number. Right. So it was, yeah, it was right around 16 or right in that area. But okay. yes, yes. Little did we know that it would define us, if you will, and that it would be two decades and we would literally travel around the world multiple times and do a lot of stupid stuff in many different countries, have a lot of fun doing TV. And Bruce and I had a lot of fun doing TV. And he is one of the greatest television producers of all time. He made me... uh, he was a huge part of making me who I am today as a broadcaster. And more than anything, we loved each other, man. And we cared about each other and we had each other's back because I'm the quarterback on the air. And the the greatest compliment Joe ever gave me, you know, in, in various interviews was he said, Mike, he goes, people don't understand how good Mike Goldberg is. They don't understand how great Goldie is because everything just seems normal to everybody at home. They don't understand the chaos going on in his headset and the counts and this and that and the, the fight. And then 
Kevin Randleman slips and hits his head in the back in Kenner, Louisiana, and the main event changes, and, and I've got to make oh, it look yeah. like it's no big deal. Joe learned that the hard way because I was unable to do a UFC when Rich Franklin knocked out Nate Quarry in Miami. Joe did the play-by-play. -play. Phil Baroni was Joe. And Joe came back after listening to Bruce for four hours, giving all these counts and the format and all that. He doesn't want he, he's, right. he's Randy Moss. Just give me the fucking ball. <laughs> right. Let me do my thing, right? Yes. So I got the I got the playbook on my arm. Joe just he comes in and I see him for the next show. He walks right up to me. He goes, Don't ever fucking miss a show again. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like there's times where, you know, as a play-by-play -play guy, knowing and having that synergy having that relationship with your producer is so, so important because yeah. we can steer that ship through those crazy waters and through those landmines when everything that comes your way in live television, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, Brucey and I were always on the same page. We were, it was a Tito fight. It was in Arco arena in Sacramento, Mike. And before the show and in the production meetings, Brucey said, hey, Dana and Lorenzo want us to shorten the on-cameras before the main event. People are waiting for the main event. One question, Goldie on cam, and let's get to the main event. And it, uh, it, Tito was in the main event. I can't remember who he was fighting. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I, we get on camera and I ask this question. And now I'm on my stick mic with my earpiece, so I don't have the benefit of the talk back on my headset where I can communicate with Bruce other than kind of shake my head. And, you know, he knows that I know that he knows that I know. Right. He's like, ask another question. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, keep going. And I'm like, what? Oh, all right. <laughs> and then, yeah. And I, like 12 minutes later, he's like, no, golly, golly, golly. I'll explain later. I'll explain oh, later. No. So what happened is someone had gone out on the, the patio to have a smoke before the main event, they dropped their pack of cigarettes, leaned over to try to grab it, and fell over the rail. Oh, no. They were hurt. Wasn't fatal, but a couple broken bones. Oh. Well, when that happened, all the medical staff ran out. That means we don't have any doctors, so we can't start the main event. We can't start the fight. So that one question turned into a 20-minute fill. I don't think people appreciate how much that throws you off because I know you're talking about it and kind of glancing over it, but I don't know if people know that you have someone talking in your ear the entire time while you're trying to explain what's going on in the fight. D did you ever get used to that? If they're not talking in my ear, I'm like, whoa, whoa did, he, did he leave? No, I, I can take account. That's for sure. You need me to go 16 seconds. I got you. You need me to go eight. You need me to go 28. Or you need one question to turn into 22. You know, I, I think that every sports fan should experience the chaos of a truck, a production truck during a live event. And a live sporting event, the magnitude of a UFC pay-per-view. When you got 20 cameras and 17 tape machines and like just lights and walk-ins and music and in-house and people need to walk into the truck more often and and i would love to see a documentary that really 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 zones in on the chaos that happens in live sports television which is honestly what i love the most about play-by-play -play, mike is i like when shit starts going crazy yeah that's when it's fun i like i, I like checking down at the line you know i have right. the plays but the best quarterbacks in the world are the ones who can audible and they can go to play eight 
And nobody at home knows other than the fact they got their arms raised again because they just scored another touchdown. Right. That's I love I love when the shit hits the fan in live television. But for the real sports fan to understand what it takes to put on a show of the magnitude of a UFC pay-per-view, I would love them to have the opportunity to go into a truck because I've had friends who I've been able to have go in and just stand in the back and watch Bruce and Anthony Giordano and April and, and everybody on our crew do their thing. And they were just like, holy shit, man. It's like the monitors and the lights and like, it's like the movie airplane. It's like, oh, the lights, lights, lights. Right. It's amazing. It's, it's cool though. It, it is. It really is. And it's crazy how it all comes together. Like so fluidly, like we don't see any of that. There was, there was a time in London where I had my family out there and Bruce, he's like, take the train, take the, take the tube and, and get to the O2. And I got on the Zufa bus with everybody else. Uh-huh. Well, this bus driver didn't know this one bridge was like closed for construction. I'm like, okay, well, Brucey's calling me like, where are you? Dude, I'm on the Zufa bus. Like, what do you, I told you to take the train. Bruce, why would I take the train? Keep in mind, all the doctors, all the refs, all the cornermen, all the, st- everybody's on the bus. So right. most of the fighters are on the bus. We're really not going to start until the bus gets there. I get there, Bruce and I have a little, you know, a little fuck you fest. And uh, <laughs> one of our executives heard it over the talk back. She came out in tears. Are you guys okay? Like, are you able to work together? Like, we do, Donna, we do that all the time. Like, we're brothers. We had a great show. This is how we talk to each other. First of all, we're both hockey players. We've worked together way too much. And we're best friends. You know, when Bruce says, you're a fucking idiot, I told you to, I'm not the fucking idiot. You're the fucking idiot. Probably both fucking idiots. But to the the person who didn't understand that world that we live in, Mike, they were in tears. Bruce called me an asshole. Wow. Okay, the media. That's a first. I feel so bad for her. I can picture her just. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, she's such a sweetheart, still there. Donna runs the ship and she did, she did and does and has for a long time. And yeah, we laugh about it afterwards, but she just hadn't, hadn't seen that side of the uh, live television world, if you were. Oh my gosh. So after the main event is over, I'm, I usually yeah. check out, you know, I'm usually done. I'll change Me the channel too. or whatever. I'm on to the next thing, you know, but the one you were t- talking about in 2017, I, for some reason I sat and watched it till the very end. And then you and Joe had your little exchange at the end um, yep. that you were leaving, or I don't even think you said it. Right. I did because I, I wanted to say thank you. Yeah. And I wanted to say goodbye, but I didn't want it to be about me. So my usual tonight show produced and directed by Bruce Connell Produced by Bruce Connell, directed by Anthony Giordano. Da, 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 da. On the rollout, where I would usually say, you know, Uriah Faber with a big win, and then Conor McGregor in the main event, and you know, yeah. over the highlights and on that perfect, you know, 45 count. <laughs> I had, you know, I'd just like to say thank you to Niner and April and and to my partner Joe Rogan. I love you, man, and I'll always love you, my powerful partner. And, you know, I'm holding back tears. And, um, you know, I I write all my ad libs, you know, ha, ha, ha. I just jotted down names. And and I wanted to to say thank yous, but I didn't want to do it and take away from any of the fights. And I didn't want to take away from anything that was happening inside the octagon because that wasn't the time for it. So I had that rollout to try to be creative. 
and I was able to to do it. And much to your point, you were able to hear it and and absorb it. And uh, that was just my way of saying goodbye. Um, but more so saying that I'll miss everybody here, that they'll always be my family. And that in my heart and in the part of my soul that will always live inside the octagon, that they will always shine brightly. And uh, it, it came off really well. And yeah. for you to be bringing it up five, six years later uh, means a lot to me. But it was. I just, and I remember sitting next to Craig Conley, Niner, my uh, stage manager, who's another hockey player, one of my buds away from it. And I just, I showed him the list of names. Frosty, you know, our audio guys, like just going Susie, our makeup person who I met at Fox and then brought her over to the UFC and God love her. She was there forever. And oh, wow. now she's fighting cancer and doing a great job. And, oh. you know, I say my prayers for Susie every day. She's like a sister to me. And hmm. um, I, I asked Snyder, I'm like, am I missing anybody? And like, no, I think you got it. And I just kind of rattled it off and that, you know, I felt good about what I was able to say at the end. Um, Cause it was just my way of saying, thank you. And that uh, the people that I spoke of and many people that I didn't have time right. to speak of in that one minute rollout that uh, I'll love them forever. And they'll always have a special place in my heart. If they don't have a special place in my heart, you know, fuck off, have a good day. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, very much that. And yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because that was what I was trying to do. And obviously, Joe was the last person that I spoke about. Um, spent a lot of time sitting next to him, a lot of time, not only calling the fights, but, you know, weigh-ins and video games and dinners and comedy shows. And, you know, you, you don't spend that kind of time with people and not have a place in your soul for them the rest of your life. And... I'm very blessed to have that place in my soul for the family that I had at the UFC that will remain my family until the day comes where I'm no longer, you know, on this earth, because there's a lot of people that are very, very important to me and will always be. And I'm always a phone call away. And um, so are they. And um, yeah, like you and I were talking before about a friend's reunion and yeah. oh yeah we call each other like they show on the credits like they've only been together once and all of them in 17 years and then phoebe lisa kudrow's like oh yeah we text all the time and then, then freaking matthew perry's awesome he goes well nobody calls me nobody talks to me and i'm just like that's awesome not only was that matthew perry that was chandler bang like, oh yeah that's beautiful you know you had asked earlier about joe and joe's my powerful partner that will never change. I still think that was the only one. And I still don't know why, because I didn't know. Like, I don't, I still don't know why I watched yeah. that one till the end. I think end. a lot of it has to do with the podcast. And, you know, there, there were so many years that, you know, you gave me a great compliment before that, you know, I'm good at choosing my words and remaining a positive, I hope, first class person. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of was like, when Joe was getting started, I was like, I don't know if I want to go on because I'm going to have to like maybe tell a real story or two. And <laughs> I might be forced to lie and say that somebody's nice when they're kind of a jackass. And <laughs> so it's never offended me because I know my relationship with Joe. Yeah. Like, I know what we have. Will I do it one day? I hope so. 
it's cool. If I don't, that's cool too. It's like the UFC Hall of Fame. You know, yeah. if Dana decides to be gracious, great. If he decides he doesn't like me on a certain day, that's fine too. You know, my tribute is what you said when we began this podcast, what the fighters have said to me, what many of the fighters at Bellator said to me when I went over and the effect that I've had on them. That's the tribute, man. I, I, you know, yeah, I'd want to be next to Brucey. Brucey's in the Hall of Fame posthumously, but sure, I'd like to to be remembered, but a plaque doesn't make you a Hall of Famer, you know? Leaving an impression with people and caring about people and having people go, man, I grew up listening to you. And then when I got to know you, like, uh, you know, away from the show on podcasts and stuff, I found out you were a really cool dude. Yeah. That's the greatest Hall of Fame that I think any human being can be a member of. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I, w- I was, I know we've only communicated back and forth, you know, through email a little bit, but I was telling my brother because we were talking about it. Cause we were, I was trying to think, you know, what, what should we talk about? He's like, man, that's so cool. You know, we, you know, we grew, cause we grew up with you basically sure. since I was since 97. So I was 13, 14, uh, when you started. And so that was like my, the soundtrack to my, my growing up basically, right. cause I, you know, yeah. was every UFC and it's just, it, oh, that's what I was, sorry, my mind, went, my mind went blank for a second. That's what we were going to say. You were trying to figure out how to finish it yeah. by Kimura. <laughs> and then I choked him out by Kimura. Yeah. Yes, you did. If Joe was a real black belt, he would have been able to do it too. I don't think I'd ever say that with him in the room though, because he choked me out. Or right. Me. Right. Oh, with love, of course. Yeah. Yeah, because he probably he is shredded. He is. Oh, he dude. Is Jack, dude. People, who would win a fight between you and Joe? Like, okay, how about the right. next question? One that really needs an answer. Right. I would just say, put him on skates, and then it still might be 50-50. He's still powerful. Did you did you fight a lot in uh, in hockey? I mean, I grew up in an era where the game still policed itself. Now in minor hockey, college hockey, we had the cage on and, you know, we didn't drop them. We weren't allowed to, to, to fight in youth hockey. Right. Uh, that didn't mean you didn't cross check somebody in the face. I, I butt into some dude. I mean, I hit, I hit the target right in the, the front side of his body where the jock strap is, is connected. And I like, Went by and I just threw a butt check and it, like basically it's taken your stick and you use the butt end. It's a butt end. Mm-hmm. And I hit my stick and I was just trying to like get him in the gut or something. And I, I it was like a Czech Congo ball shot. I mean, it was nasty. Oh. And oh. thank God we had the, the, the birdcage on by then because I'm laughing my ass off. <laughs> and I, I will say yeah. he didn't slash me the rest of the night. So Oh, so it worked. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You get you like take your stick and you like nail somebody in the groinal area, they're probably going to stay away from you for at least the rest of that game. <laughs> um, now, a couple of his teammates came after me, but oh. that's okay. We were definitely physical. I got slew footed. We, you know, yeah. chopped down. I have a lot of uh, dental work. My dentist has a really nice car, courtesy of me <laughs> in my hockey career. Um, maybe two of them. But um, yeah, so I knew about fighting and I, and I knew about, fighting in the game of hockey back then. And when I was growing up, really watching it, when it truly did, the sport policed itself. When you had Gretzky and Curry, and you knew that if you hit Gretz, that you were going to have to pay for it. Because 
somebody was going to be in your face and you were going to be forced to drop the gloves. And they were protected, if you will, but not by rules and this and concussions. And the game has changed and some of it for the good, some of it for the bad. Um, or I, I can't say bad, but different. Right. But there was a time where if you went after Iserman, you knew that Joey Koser or Bob Probert was going to be right behind him. And if you're going to go and try to take a cheap shot at Steve Iserman, you better be ready to fight Bob Probert or you better be ready to fight Joey Koser. Right. And that you better have some, some big ones if you're going to do that. Now, a clean hit's a clean hit. And you still see it in the game today, but it's not the same. So to answer your question, did I know fighting? Yes. Was I a fighter? No, I was a goal scorer. You know, we played a physical game and I played in college and I had my teeth knocked out and I had my face stitched up and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that was just part of the game. It's just part of the sport. I thought I'd left a couple of chiclets on the ice yesterday and I don't even know who I ran into. <laughs> Um, but it Dang. hurt, fit a cup of blood and I'm like, felt them. And all right, these, these crowns are like 1200 each. So I hope they're still in here. Oh yeah. All right. We're good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a game that policed itself. I will tell you this, Mike, that being a hockey player and understanding the culture and going back to handshakes that we spoke about earlier, my transition into martial arts, because that's what MMA is. It's mm-hmm. martial arts. It's just a plethora of the different dis- disciplines. What's What do you teach your kid the first time you take them to karate class? What do they learn? Yes, sir. No, sir. Respect. Respect. And so I was able to immediately relate with martial artists, with fighters, but with martial artists, because I knew the class that they had. I knew that they did it for the confrontation, as BJ Penn would say, but still for the competition. And when it was over... It was over. Rich Franklin said it. I, you know, doctors don't do surgery in the middle of the street. Why would I fight in a bar? And he's right. And so that part of the hockey DNA that I had made it a very, very smooth transition into relating to the values of a martial artist and a mixed martial artist. I mean, I grew up in the era when, I mean, they didn't even have the $3 sweat your ass off suits. They were running around in garbage bags, those crazy ass wrestlers when <laughs> when I was in school. And right. I mean, they were hefty garbage bags. I understand that part of it. And that's why I've been able to understand the fighters. I respect the fighters so much. I know what they've put into it to get to the level in which they've gotten to win, lose, or draw. I understand sportsmanship, respect for your competitor. And I really consider, you know, an MMA battle, a microcosm of a playoff series in hockey, because at the end of it, they shake hands and they congratulate each other. They pick each other up. I mean, the moment between Uriah Hall and Anderson Silva had me in tears because Anderson, if I have a favorite fighter, Mm -hmm. he's one of them. Randy's up there, obviously BJ's up there, but you know, in and out of it. Like Anderson is, I love how Anderson is in and out of competition. And to watch Uriah have that respect for Anderson and that passing of the torch, that is a microcosm of what this sport is truly about. And that's why, thank God, the Fertitas came along and Mark Ratner came along and we were able to show the world that these weren't a bunch of goons and meatheads and street fighters and dudes throwing beer bottles in a bar, that these were professional athletes 
competing at a very high level in a sport in which was a very physical and potentially destructive sport, but it was still a sport. Because I'll tell you what, football players hit each other pretty hard. Hockey players hit each other pretty hard. And so do fighters. And uh, it's no different. And the respect that's shown after a good battle to me has always been my favorite part. That's why I love MMA and I love martial arts so much. Yeah, that's so true. One of the greatest lines ever. Well, Brian Stan would, uh, you know, you want to talk about an American oh, hero. Yeah. I mean, who gets who's bigger than Brian Stan? And right. I remember Brian would said a couple of times, he goes, Goldie, when I first fought, I still had sand in my ears. And I'm thinking like, holy fuck. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess getting in a cage where there's a ref and they can stop it or you can tap. Probably a little safer than what you were doing in protecting our country the last 10 years. So Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a great point. But I always said that Brian Stan is the man that you want your daughter to marry, but you do not want your son to fight. That's a good point. Brian Stan, he was in the Marines, right? Like he, for yeah, absolutely. years. Like yeah. a decorated Medal of Honor and like he is the man. And many others like him. I mean, yeah. Randy, could, you go down the list, but with Brian, I always said like, because he's such a great human being. He's a decorated Marine and he will always be a Marine. If you're a Marine, you are a Marine for life. Semper Fi. And he is a class act, but you don't want to be on his wrong side. No. And it would take a lot to be on his wrong side because he's that guy. He has that class. He has that ability to, to keep his emotions in check. But still, he's the guy you want your daughter to marry, but you do not want your son to fight. What happened to him? Where, what's he doing now? You know, it's, it's crazy because Brian, when, when everything went down with the sale, Brian left a few months before I did. And he literally did say, Goldie, if this shit's going to happen to you, I better make a move now. Right. But more so than anything else, Brian has many daughters, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, big family and loves his girls. Brian had an opportunity in the corporate world and he's got a beautiful family and he had this opportunity in the corporate world. He had been in the Marines. He had been overseas all those years. He had fought. He had sacrificed. He had missed a lot of plays. He had missed a lot of daddy-daughter dances. He was a lot of times with J.A., with Anik, doing the shows, the crazy shows in the middle of Brazil, um, in a way, 40 of 52 weekends a year. And he just was at a point where he had this opportunity in the corporate world to be with his family and mm. to watch his children grow up. And he was able to take it. And um, Good. so he walked away from it. Could Brian Stan come back tomorrow and be one of the best broadcasters in the sport again? No question about it. Brian yeah, he was great. Was very yeah. good. Highly intelligent. Obviously lived it, knew it. And much like what made him a great American. And, and uh, you know, obviously we played football at the Naval Academy. Um, then fought, protected our country. Everything that he did, that same work ethic um, has made him successful in the corporate world, too. He went, I don't know if it was Wharton, but I know he went on to get, you know, his master's in business at a very high level. And wow. he's just, he's a wonderful human being. And so he's doing that. I, I reached out to him not all that long ago to just kind of say, hey, I hope you're great. I see these pictures, you know, on social. And I see his beautiful family and I admire him for being able to do what he did at the time in which the opportunity presented itself because you know being a commentator for the UFC is a pretty freaking cool job and Brian was good at it he enjoyed it people enjoyed him but he didn't want to wake up one day and have all of his girls be grown and gone and he missed all those things and uh, I admire that 
more than many of the other things that are admirable about Brian Stan. And pretty much everything about Brian Stan is admirable. He's a first yeah. class guy. For him to be able to make that move and have that opportunity, I'm glad he was able to do it. And I'm glad he's being able to have the family time. Because, hey, your kids are both under 10. Mine are 23 and 21 now. It's so cliche. It sounds so stupid when people tell you, oh, it goes by so fast. You know what? It does. Oh, my gosh. There's so many days, bro, that I wish. I see these pictures. If it's on my phone, whatever. Little little Cole or little Kiara playing Dorothy oh. in Wizard of Oz with her <laughs> braces at 15. And I'm like, man, I miss those days. Oh. And Brian didn't want to miss any more of them. And I think he made a wonderful decision. Oh. I think he made a wonderful Good for him. I, I know this is completely jumping a little bit off topic of what we were just talking about, but I'm afraid if I don't ask you now, I'm going to forget. So years ago, when I was doing that radio show, which I tried to get you on, by the way, and I could never find any representation for you. So I'm glad that we finally made it. But years ago, I would hear, you know, all sorts of stories because I would have a couple fighters on every show. Right. I heard this a couple times and then I saw it actually on the internet, maybe a couple nights ago, that right before you started UFC the WWE tried to steal you away the night before and offered you a ridiculous amount of money. Is that true? Yes, yes. Yes. But it, I, was, I was many years into my UFC journey. Oh, so you already started. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. I was, we were already owned by Zufa. The WWE reached out, and I was absolutely thrilled and honored that they did. That didn't mean I wanted to leave the UFC. Yeah. But I grew up a Hulkamaniac, man. And I mean, I was in college, WrestleMania one, and we all pitched in our five bucks and we got a couple kegs and we watched the Hulkster and take your vitamins, Hulkamaniacs and Gene Okerlund. You want to name my broadcast Mount Rushmore? I'm putting Mean Gene on it. Oh, Mean Gene's got it. Well, I'll tell you what, Mean Gene. (laughs) And Mean Gene, my first job out of school, Mike, was in Sarasota, Florida. And me and Gene lived in Sarasota, and he would go to this bar on Siesta Key called Blueberry Hill. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and have beers with him all night. No way. Talk. Absolutely. Oh. Well, me and Gene's a Minnesota guy. His son, Todd, was on the 1984 U.S. Olympic hockey team. No kidding. So we had the hockey in common. Yeah. And that, oh, oh. by the way, was the next Olympics after a pretty good thing happened. Um, oh, yeah, the, the uh, miracle. Call, yeah, that, yeah. that one game. I just made my kids watch that with me the other yeah. day, the movie. Oh, my God. It was great. Oh, yeah, it's so good. And I'll tell you what, Herbie was around a lot during my hockey days, and he was a scout for the Penguins when I was the broadcaster for the Minnesota Wild, and he was home living in St. Paul again, and I would see Herb Brooks all the time. Kirk Russell killed it, man. His Herbie was awesome. He had one or two scenes where – they had Ramsey shooting right-handed instead of left-handed, and as a hockey player, pissed me off. Oh. But overall, <laughs> overall, they nailed it. They did such a great job oh. with that movie, yeah. and like it. And we win every time I watch it, which is just freaking awesome. <laughs> which is even better. Which is even better. <laughs> which is even better. So, where oh WWE? So yeah, yeah. WWE. I was a. I was. Thrilled. And so they offered me an incredible three-year guaranteed deal. They came after me and I entertained it. Again, I didn't want to leave, but I had a family. I had young kids trying to get stability and right in the whole bit. And so um because you don't I, know if I, UFC is gonna succeed at that point, right? That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. And we were at a point 
where it was starting to take off and Lorenzo and Frank and Dana and the ultimate fighter had come and it was like, okay. And so it was a Monday night and we were at the hard rock and we were doing a show at the joint at the hard rock in Vegas. And I was supposed to start with the WWE that next Monday because they were making the move from spike to USA. Cause at the time the UFC was on spike. Right. And the whole night, during the show, Joe's like, dude, you're not going to go do porn. Like, come on, Goldie. You're going to go do porn? I'm like, well, Joe, they're offering me this. And I'm like, come on. I don't know. And I like, oh. I was just very honest and straight with Dana and Lorenzo. I told them what they offered me. And I just said, hey, I don't want to go. I love you guys. I've been on this ship. and I've spent enough time at Cracker Barrel in Lake Charles, Louisiana, I've, I've paid the dues, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, Casino Magic. I want to see where this ship is going to like land one day and what size yacht it's going to be and what island it's going to be on. Right. And it was a $4.2 billion island, so it did okay. <laughs> that night, after the show at the Hard Rock, Joe went up to Lorenzo and Dana, and they were in a suite at the hotel. And Joe basically said... I don't want to work with anybody else. I don't want to work with some yin yang. Goldie and I are brothers, we're partners. We get along great. We've got something special here. Just pay the dude. Do whatever you got to do. Just do it. And that's when you talk about my relationship with Joe. A lot of people don't know that. So Joe went up and he just said, I want to lose him. Like, wow. he's my guy. And I, you know, we're partners. Yeah. And like, we're a good team. A couple of days went by and I, I got a call from Dana. And it was funny, Dana had done the math because he knew that I was going to be every Monday on Monday Night Raw. And wow. so it's 50 shows. So, you know what, Goldie, in the big picture, when you do the math, you're only going to make this much per show. So we're going to give you this much. And Lorenzo's in the background. He goes, and we're going to throw in a little signing bonus. Oh, well, at the time, it, it was still less guaranteed money than the WWE was offering. Right. But that's when all of a sudden, poof, the wave came, we went from 14 to 18 shows to 22, and everything worked out beautifully. So I was days away from going to the WWE. Wow. And they did want me to no-show at one point, which was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, because, you can't ask some, someone to do no, that. No, yeah. but, but what if I did? Why would Vince McMahon want me to no-show? Right. And then kind of like we were talking about earlier, like you sit there and whine, why would the next person want to hire you? Exactly. I wouldn't do that to Vince if he was my boss. Yeah. And oh, by the way, like if I wasn't at the production meeting or doing the voiceovers the day before, like it's not like all of a sudden first fight would happen and they go, oh shit, Goldie's not here. Like, <laughs> Where is he? I don't just like drive up in like some Bentley limousine, like and just, oh, drop him off from the sky. Like right. they would know I wasn't there, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so the story got a little exaggerated. There was a signing bonus that was included in my deal from the WWE that didn't give me when I didn't sign, which obviously makes sense. Right. But um, but in the big picture, I was very, very honored um and humbled by the opportunity and the fact that they did show interest because the production that the WWE does is as good as any in television. Every show's a big show. Yeah. Um, and I, I was an old school Hulk guy and macho and, yeah, and you know, and, and mean Gene. And so, yeah. especially Gene Okerlund, I was honored by it and I was excited about it. 
Um, I was a little cautious because what other opportunities might not develop because now I've gone over to that side of it, you know, is it real sports or not? Um, but more so than anything, I didn't want to leave my UFC family right. and they gave me the opportunity to, to not have to do so. And I was able to jump on it. It was very, very close. So you, and the stories just get better. Oh yeah. Like they, they were going to give him a hundred thousand dollars not to show up. Like, <laughs> I think and that's then I, and then I would have had my knees taken out the next day. Like, okay. So <laughs> right. it would have been 130,000 in medical bills. So I would have been down 30 grand. Like I think Chael's, Chael's the one who's poured the, the most kerosene on it, but Chael's pretty good at that in general. So I just, I just let the gangster do his thing. It's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. Right. It actually it might've been him that I heard it from years ago. Cause he, was supposed Probably to was. you guys were gonna come here when i say you got the ufc you were gonna come here back when i was doing that and chael versus anderson was supposed to headline here they announced it That's and right ticket sales didn't take off like they wanted so they panicked and moved it i think what maybe a week or two before somewhere else i think right. it was it might have been chael that i that yeah. i had heard yeah. it from yeah yeah gangster gangster's pretty good at uh at selling those things got that gift Speaking of that, he would be good in the WWE. God, are you kidding me? He would oh. be amazing. There's no question about it. No question about it. Like yeah. that guy's like, like like Connor can Connor can yap, right? Yeah, right. And there's people who can trash talk. Yeah. But there's nobody, nobody better than Chael. Yeah. Nobody better yeah. than Chael. Like when you bow in Brazil, they hit you over your, they hit you over the head and take your wallet. Like, I mean, Anderson even had to laugh at that one. Yeah. <laughs> but the shit that he would come up with. Oh my god. Like when he was getting ready to fight Fedor, and here we go, America against Russia, the goat against Fedor. God, this is like so good, so good oh, and best. so funny. Oh. And it's one go-to line at the desk all the time which used to crack me up all the time. And then I'd give him shit. He would always say, he'd say, and Mike, and I only offer you this because, oh, so that's, that's, that's the Chaelism. You know? <laughs> so, so Mike, as we discuss the American gangster Chael Sonnen, I only offer you this because. Does you know, he at this ever point, turn like, it off? He'd be a great, like Bobby Heenan. Like he should oh, be yeah. one of the big guys' managers and just be the voice. One of the funniest human beings ever just some of the stuff that he would come up with. He had to rehearse it a little bit because it's you would think. too good to add yeah, Exactly. But in rehearsing it, he also wrote it and he thought about it and he got it down and it came out brilliantly. Mm -hmm. um, but my favorite will always be when you bow in Brazil, they hit you over the head and take your wall. Yes. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, and I only offer you that. I love the gangster. Oh, he's the best. I got to work with him a lot, you know, with Bellator too. And, funny dude that's right how, how much different was bellator because you went to bellator after uh your run UFC. at the ufc um how much different was it was it a huge difference or was it just kind of like the same as honestly it was you know here's me being me it was virtually identical wow um virtually identical right there you go yes it was that's great because once the gate closed and the fighters were in there it's the same sport. They're still the best fighters in the world. Like the UFC is the UFC. Bellator's right there. Bellator, yeah. Mix, PF, but Bellator's right there. And my first main event with Bellator was Ryan Bader, Phil Davis for the light heavyweight championship at Madison Square Garden. Oh, well, yeah. I called the first fight in Sweden. 
Bader's my neighbor up the street, you know, here in Arizona. You know, oh, that's right. Arizona. Yeah. I, Mr. Wonderful, I called all his fights, you know, come out with his singlet in the Penn State fights. Like, yeah. you know, and then John Norton, who was a longtime producer and a Bruce Connell, you know, student of television, much like myself. Um, Norty had made the move from the, the UFC to Bellator on what was Spike then. So I was going back to Spike. I was working with Norty. People always said Jimmy Smith was like a Joe Rogan. All right, so now yeah. I'm sitting next to another very intelligent bald guy who's got a black belt in Brazilian <laughs> jiu-jitsu. And I look at a cage, Big John's refing. Craziest was my first card, Chinzo Machida is on the card and he's fighting James Gallagher. So we're doing our fighter interviews and Chinzo walks in and it was an honor to meet him. And Lyoto's with him, one of my favorite people in the entire world. And then Douglas Lima comes in with Diego. <laughs> Diego, UFC, I call Diego's fights. Right. I, I mean, and then AJ McKee comes in, I see his father, Antonio called Antonio's fights. Oh now gosh. I'm thinking, holy shit, I'm getting old. <laughs> but it was like, right. it was the same. And Nordy's there and Spike and all the Spike people. Wow. It, it really wasn't that different. And that was good. That was right. good. The format looked exactly the same because we Nordy was using the same format that we used at the UFC for years. And it was a familiar voice in my ear. Uh, you know, because Nordy produces a lot like Brucey did because he learned from Bruce. Oh, wow. Uh, and it, it was just, it, it was truly, it was virtually identical. And I'll tell you, the, the, the appreciation that I received from those fighters, I, I, you always hope that you've done people right. Yeah. But man, some of the things that were said to me when I made my move to Bellator um, from the fighters over there who were meeting me for the first time were just so humbling and just meant so so much mike and i'll wow. never forget michael chandler said to me goldie man after all these years i am finally going to get to hear it is all over oh. at the end of one of my fights and i was like wow dude like you don't realize how much that means to me yeah. and michael and i built a, a really strong friendship over his time in bellator i was one of the last guys to to say bye to him after his final Bellator fight. We were in the COVID world, but as I was walking out and there were even a couple of articles that said, and Mike Goldberg was one of them to say, you know, good luck, uh, go get your belt in the UFC. I texted him before he fought uh, Dubronx. Charles Oliveira is a great fighter and he caught Michael. Michael had a great first round. Oh, that broke my um, heart. Yeah, it broke my heart too, but yeah. Charles deserves it too. Yeah. Um, oh, no, take nothing away from Charles. I just want to see Chandler get his. I wanted to see Michael, yeah. and what he said to me was was really cool. And, and that it is just, really neat. It made, me, it made me know in my heart and soul that at the end of the day, it's the F and F, as I said earlier. It's the fighters and the fans. And if I was doing right by the fighters, then a guy like Michael Chandler, who was the face, he was the star of Bellator at the time, said that to me and was that excited for me to call one of his fights after wow. all these years i'm like man that that is a very humbling and very cool and rewarding feeling and uh and i told michael that and he knows that and he knows that uh i'll always be in his quarter man win lose or draw um or as we used to say uh, you know i got your back winner tie <laughs> <laughs>
Winter tie. Yeah. How winter can... tie. I'm on your side. Winter tie, dude. I got you. <laughs> Man, I just, I, you know, I, I enjoy going to hockey games live, but I just, I have a hard time getting into it. I, I know this is, this is horrible for you to hear. I just have a hard time watching them. I actually did watch some of that game the other night when we were emailing that you were, that you said yes. you were watching yes. the game seven one and I, and it was fun. I will give you that. I, I did enjoy yeah. it, but that you can tie. I just have a hard time with that. I guess you can't in the well, playoffs, but well, you can't, and you and you can't anymore. You have the shootouts. That's right. And, uh, yeah. The NHL. See, playoffs. I don't even know what I'm talking well, about there, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> then people will be like, "Okay, well, you get the extra point in a skills contest because now overtime is three on three, mm. and then if nobody scores in the five minute three on three, then you go into a shootout and somebody gets that second point. Well, you know, it ties like kissing your sister." <laughs> So is it better than a bunch of ties? I don't know. How hot is your sister? <laughs> oh, like your sister, not my sister. I don't have a sister. If I did and I kissed her, my mom and dad, like, it'd be really weird. <laughs> it would so be, yeah. I can imagine. It would be wrong. It would be wrong. Like if Cole comes up to Kiara tomorrow and gives her a big old kiss, like I'm going to probably have to intervene and say, Kim, we need to talk to our children. But <laughs> right. Obviously, world, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, they're going to love hearing that. That's point now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overtime in the playoffs is, is fucking spectacular. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hockey is a sport that is very difficult to put in proper perspective on TV. The hockey moves in that area with the puck too quickly. Football's the perfect TV sport, which is why football gets the highest ratings. Baseball's yeah. pretty good as well. I love watching, not a huge baseball guy, but you get me into the playoffs, you get me into the World Series, and you get me Joe Buck on the mic. The 19 cameras and the tight shot of the pitcher and, and Joe knows when to lay out, that's art. Yes. And football's perfect. You get tight, they move the football, they run a play, they huddle. You got nine different freaking replays. You got the time. You're not missing anything. You got nine ISOs and you have time to show six of them. Then they have another play. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. In hockey, it's moving. Please, it, It's hard. It's like auto racing. It yeah. really is. And for so long, it was so difficult. And now with the cameras in the cars and then the helmets and, you know, the communication between a driver and the broadcast booth and all, they've done a lot of things with the graphics to try to, to spice it up with hockey they've also done a lot of it but it's still a difficult sport to translate properly into tv because you just don't you just don't take in the size and the speed and the physicality of the game and the fact that these guys shoot that puck at nearly 100 miles an hour yeah. and then when nathan mckinnon broke around the other day in the big win in game one over vegas i was listening to nhl radio somebody said that he was skating at 34 miles an hour yeah. Now think about that car collision Jeez. at the ice with two dudes. You talk about Ronnie Lott hitting a wide receiver coming across the middle. Well, put those guys on skates and instead of going 10 miles an hour running, now they're going 25, 30 miles an hour Ugh. and they're blowing each other off. Jeez. And yeah, it's my game. I love the game. I broadcast it. I, I love it. I watch every Sharks game and I watch the playoffs and I'm a hockey player. But yeah, you're right. It, it's a difficult one to really get across properly on TV just because of the way it is. Fox tried it with that crazy puck, with the glowing puck and everything. And I oh, remember- they did? Game. Yeah, oh God, years ago, <laughs> probably pre-birth for you. Um, it might've been actually, yeah. I mean, if you 
13 and 97, the Fox puck was, so Fox did the puck in the mid nineties. And what they did is they would put like a circle around the puck because most oh. people like me as a hockey player, I know where the puck is all the time. Yeah. But a lot of people, you can't see the puck. And then if it was like a slap shot or something, the puck would actually like get an orange flame and like video game. <laughs> Well, half the time, the puck would be on the sideboards in the little circle around the Fox puck was like in the fourth row in the stand. Oh, it was, it was no. The fucking train wreck. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with ESPN and I'm coming into Vancouver to do playoffs for ESPN with the NHL. And I'm coming to immigration and uh, the guy says, hey, what are you here for? I go, well, I'm uh, here for the Canucks uh, Blackhawks series here to broadcast with ESPN. He's like, oh, OK, cool. He goes, just so you know, if you were with Fox, this is a Canadian dude, obviously. Mm -hmm. If you were with Fox and that stupid glowing puck, I wouldn't let you in my country. <laughs> oh and my I was gosh. just like, it was awesome. Because it's like, you know, the old school Canadian dude. And I'm like, I'm with you. I like the Fox tried it, but I, I, I kind of know what you're saying. Right. Kind of saying. That said, they reinvented football with the graphics and did a pretty good job making NASCAR more than just you know, the down South, you know, regional right. sport that it was for so long. Yeah. They, they turned it into the popularity of the same that we saw in the, the, the heyday of the Indianapolis 500 when, you know, the Danny Sullivan's and the Andretti's and the Foyt's and all those greats and the Bobby Ray Halls. I mean, NASCAR became that because of Fox's coverage of it and adding the graphics. Yeah. Um, they so, tried with hockey. It just didn't work. It was too fast. You're right. They hit it out of the park with those. But, yeah, the glowing puck, yeah. it sounds glorious. But. It was an awesome <laughs> line, man. If, yeah, if you were here with that stupid glowing puck, I wouldn't let you in. I'm with ESPN. You're good to go. You're good, Have bro. fun. Go Canucks. Uh, you got it, brother. <laughs> Do you get into basketball at all? Well, I did for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I was spoiled, as, as you probably know. I was the sideline reporter for the Bulls for their first three championships. Oh, against um, my jazz. Oh, oh yeah. no. Yeah, absolutely. Mike. Yeah. Mike. Yep. I know. No. I know. That well, yeah, that was the third one. What year they well 91, they beat the they beat the Lakers, the Blazers, and the Suns when I was there. So they beat your jazz. Oh, okay. That was in later. the second three. Okay. Yeah, I was at ESPN by then, but I was still a Michael fan. And at oh, that yeah. time my, my buddy Ron Harper was on the team. Harper and I were at Miami of Ohio the same four years. Oh, nice. Lived in the same dorm, the whole bit. Got to watch him do his thing, you know, in the, in the Mighty Mac, the Mid-American Conference. Stockton and Malone were scary, man. That's for sure. But Michael, Michael was too was good. special. Yeah. He was too good. Uh, and so I don't watch it like I used to, and it's still a great game, but I just, I was just spoiled yeah, and not just by that era, but to live it. Like when when you talk about the Last Dance, the documentary. Mike, oh, that was so good, so good. I lived like I'm talking lived the first seven episodes oh. without like when Michael's at the Birdo Center retiring. I'm I'm in the crowd there. Michael's no in the batting way. cage. I'm in the Sports Channel studio. When oh Michael comes God. back from Atlantic City. I'm in the locker room and I'm interviewing him when Starks jams over them, like when, no. when Isaiah and the boys walk off the court and they won't, they won't shake his hand when he's got a nine, 900 degree fever, when Scotty's back, like I was wow. blessed to live it every single day. That includes the Ewings and the Barclays and the Drexlers and the Dominique Wilkins and oh. the Malones and Stocktons and KJ and 
And Scotty, I mean, wow. people know now how great Scotty was. And the last dance reminded the rest of the world how they didn't realize was. how good he was yeah. in central Arkansas. And so I don't watch as much as I did back then because it just, I just can't. Too spoiled. Oh, yeah. Too spoiled. This Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I know. Starting was... lineup for your <laughs> Chicago Bulls. I actually, in third grade, God. Sorry, I'm trying to rag my brain here because I remember in third grade, I did my report not on Stockton and Malone. My, you know, your big report you got to do. That's your right, big, right. that's your grade. I did it on you, Jordan. There's no diet. There's no diabetes or no, no diabetic <laughs> right. wishes. Right. So you're good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> right. I did it on Jordan, though. I mean, you just got to give it up. It was Jordan. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, man, it, he was so funny in the last dance, too, a couple times. Like, oh, when he yeah. looked at the iPad. Like talking about Peyton in the glove. Oh, come on. Come on, glove. <laughs> come on, Gary. And you know, he loves Gary. Yeah. Team team. He's like, come on. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, but Michael's, he just was a class act every single day. And uh, it was just an honor to be around that team and to be at Chicago Stadium. You know, like the anthem was to the Blackhawks and still is. But at the Madhouse, you know, you get Alan Parsons in serious, you know, the starting lineup for your. Chicago Bulls from Central Arkansas at forward 6-6, Scotty Pippen at forward from Clemson, Horace Grant, the man in the middle from San Francisco, seven foot one, Bill Cartwright at guard from Notre Dame, number five, John Paxson, and from North Carolina, number 23, Michael Jordan! <laughs> the lights would be going crazy. The head coach of the Bulls is Phil Jackson. The assistants, Johnny Bach, Tex Winter, and Jimmy Clemens. And the lights would come on, and the lovable, I just, just you know, nail it, you know? Yeah. Oh, my the, the best was the man in the middle from San Francisco, seven foot one, Bill Cartwright! <laughs> this guy, Ray Clay, uh, would do it. And uh, Ray was at UIC, like, with the UIC Flames doing the PA before that. And oh, uh, wow. Man, that was, again, I mean, you got spoiled with Michael the rest of the time, but you right. did not want to be late. You didn't, you did not want to miss the starting lineups. Yeah. I goal. remember those. It yeah. Was, oh, man. It was the best. Yeah. The best. With Alan Parsons and Sirius. And now your starting lineup <laughs> for the world champion Chicago Bulls. Oh, my gosh. So you were there. Yeah. Those, the, all I those. I was there. Oh. Yeah, I was there. Michael wow. gave me this interview, and I say gave me this interview after the whole Atlantic City thing. I'm in New York, and I and I never like is is a guy who was around the team in the sideline reporter all the time. I didn't quote unquote bother Michael. I always respected how much the media hounded wanted him. from him yeah. and hounded him, and so I didn't go up every game, maybe two times a year, and trying to get an interview with Michael. And I always joke John Paxson and I always kind of had this Abbott and Costello routine. I'd be, Pax, can I get a pregame? A smart dude, you know, Dayton, Ohio, Notre Dame, always going to be a good interview. Right. I'm a good Ohio kid too, you know, Cincinnati boy. <laughs> yeah. And I'd Pax go, hey, did you, did you ask Michael? I'd go, no, John, I was scared. What about Scotty? <laughs> Scotty said no. You go, did you ask Horace? Well, Scotty told Horace to say no, because you know how they were freaking frat. John would laugh. He goes, well, go get Cartwright. And I'd be like, Pax, like my arm, like he's so tall and he spits and I get my hair all messed up. And we'd laugh and we'd do our pregame. 
We were in New York, Madison Square Garden. Starks had jammed over him. Ewing never missed that baseline jumper. Michael goes to Atlantic City, gambles with his dad. Everybody's on his shit. There's a massive media inside the Bulls locker room after practice. Charles had actually been named the MVP that same day. And so Michael's complimenting his buddy, you know, Chuck as well. And I just waited. I just, you know, waited because if your camera wasn't there and your microphone wasn't in front of the athlete, it was a useless, you know, interview. You weren't going to get anything. Yeah. And I, I just waited patiently, Mike. I finally got up there and I don't even know what I asked. I don't think it mattered. And Michael gave me this transparent interview about how he knows he's got to be better and he knows that he's got to put this team on his shoulders and that he went up there to relax and he gets why people are like, whatever it was, it was, it was a gift, Mike. It was a gift. And when I sent that interview back to Sports Channel Chicago, you know, over the satellite, so it would roll in the pregame show, I could have had a lifetime contract with Sports Channel Chicago. Oh, were they just and it stoked? Was, it, yeah, it was just, but it really, I, I, I truly believe to this day, it was just Michael's way of saying thank you for respecting me and for oh. understanding, you know, the day-to-day attention that is placed upon me. And I watched right. Mike and I watched him do all the interviews and he never, never did an interview without coming out with his suit on. He didn't ever see a shirtless Michael Jordan or- No, yeah. You know, and I even remember, and I, and I love Kobe, may he rest in peace. And obviously Kobe and Michael had a great bond and Kobe played a lot like Michael. But when Kobe started doing the baseball jerseys and stuff, at first it bothered me because I was used to seeing Jordan always in his suit. Right. He always stayed in the dress room in the back. And then when he came out to do media, he was always in his suit. And I learned a lot just by watching that man. And that man had a presence unlike any other athlete, any other person I've ever been around. Oh, I can't even the imagine. The aura of Michael Jordan was incredible. And the fact that he was kind to me, just a, a huge bonus. It's just that I just understood enough that I respected him. And I knew my spot and I picked my spots and he picked that spot for me. And he made me look pretty good that night on the pregame show. Oh, that was, uh, that was that man. That was, that was special. That's... I, I remember that interview happening and I'm just like, man, I hope he's rolling. This camera guy better than <laughs> oh. I, if this tape gets fucking stuck, I'm going to kill somebody. <laughs> that, that I don't mean? think I can ask Mike to do it again. Oh, oh no, you can't. <laughs> Although the way he was that day, he might've, you know, he was in a good oh. mood. So he, by the time I got there, I was a friendly face after oh. all the New York media that was in his face before that. Right. Grilling him. Like, oh, right. One of us. It's one of our guys. Let's give him a nice, <laughs> going to be nice. He's not going to be a dick. So I'm going to give him a good interview here. You know, I don't know. Oh my gosh. That's unbelievable. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, dude, I've, I've been so blessed. And, um, and that's, that's what I reflect on more and more. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder that if the things that have happened the last five, six years haven't happened or hadn't happened in my life and they haven't been easy. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, not easy at all. Um, tough in a lot of different ways, personal, professional, everything, losing yep. my dad, um, you know, but I, I don't know if I would be able to have the same interview that we're having right now. And I wouldn't even consider it an interview. I, I consider what we've been doing for the last couple hours now, what you said at the very start that 
you just felt like Joe and I were in the living room with you and your bro yeah. hanging out, having a beer, talking about these fights and seeing if Randy Couture could actually like come back at a hundred years old and beat Tim <laughs> Sylvia. And the answer is yes. Hell yeah. And I wanted to say <laughs> at the end, cause they were counting down in Columbus, mm-hmm. 10, nine, eight. And I just, I, as a hockey guy, I just wanted to say, do you believe in miracles? <laughs> and then you I said have. that to George Greenberg. At, well, I said that to George Greenberg, my idol is an executive at Fox one time. And George just looked at me and he goes, well, I'm really glad you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was just like, you know, that was amazing. And so I'm able to reflect on it and appreciate it um, and appreciate the opportunities that are forthcoming and uh, the next journey. And right. I, I'm a very insatiable person. Um, and that's, I think, a lot of successful people have insatiability. But a lot of times we put those blinders on and we forget to enjoy the moments. And for many, many years, I was just on to the next show and the next set of bios and I, I didn't step back to to really understand how awesome it was right and now i do and i approach it in a different way still work my ass off yeah and still lock myself down it was easy to be you know anti-social during covid when we weren't allowed to get out of our rooms i could really you know tweak my bios in because i wasn't allowed out of the room anyway <laughs> right um that'll never change but i definitely I definitely am enjoying journeys a lot more than worrying about destinations. And it's uh, it's a better way to wake up. It's definitely a better way to wake up. Yeah. And, you know, you get back to that motivational speaking part of me that I hope will come out. You know, hopefully some people will listen to that and understand it from their part of their world and whatever they do. Because it doesn't matter what you do, what you're not doing, what you want to do, what you wish you did. Um, you just try to take it in, man. And think about the journey and glance in that rearview mirror and remember the greatness remember the things that tripped you up don't do it again and uh keep on keeping on yeah man that's good speaking of what's what is next for you i am going to be doing some okay so the octagon much like an octopus (laughs) has eight sides right well the trigon has three sides and the trigon is where they bare knuckle battle oh. in BYB Extreme. Oh. And I went down to their last show in Miami. I was invited down by their owner, Mike Vasquez. And Dada 5000 saw me there and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, your boss invited me, but I didn't say that. <laughs> right. um, I am going to be the voice of uh, BYB Extreme. And uh, my first oh. show will be in July. So I'm getting into the bare knuckle world. And uh, I'm excited about it because I was doing an interview the other day and I did save all the good stuff for you, Mike. (laughs) The question was asked and it was actually, it was a great question. They said, do you feel now that you're going to get into bare knuckle? They said, Goldie, do you feel like you did in the early days of the UFC? And I was like, oh, right. I'm like, yeah. Little renegade, little like, where, where's this path gonna go? Yeah. Seems to be the new journey. Paige Van Zant, everybody thought she'd go to Bellator because her husband, Austin Vanderford's already there. Paige goes out for the Bare Knuckle Fight Club. And so. Yeah, that I'm was shocking. That was pretty crazy. It, it was. I, I, but she looked great. Yeah. And I, and I know, obviously, I called a ton of Paige's fights and 
called a handful of Austin Vanderford, her husband's fights in Bellator. And he's mm. a freaking beast. Yeah. He's a jail guy. And oh. um, yeah, so now I can say, you know, inside the Trigon. <laughs> Um, yes. BYB Extreme. That's perfect. So I, I'm very, yeah, it really is. I'm excited about it. They're committed to making it great. And the owner is unbelievable. And we're on the same page. And it's another journey. And uh, I would just really, really love to be part of another successful journey. Because when I really think back at it and have conversations like we've had, the big, big ones were great, but the little ones were the ones I remember the most and the, the pivotal moments, you know, I mean, I remember Birmingham, Alabama felt like it could never get bigger. And then next thing I know, we're in Abu Dhabi or we're in Sydney, Australia. There's 80,000 people in Skydome and Joe and I like keep looking up going, what, huh? what is going on right now? What in the world? All I knew is the bathroom was really far away then. And I had to <laughs> run during pay-per-views to pee. And I'm like, well, this kind of sucks. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, BYB Extreme. BYB um, Extreme. My first show in, in July. Cannot wait. I went down to the show, man. They bring it. And there's skill in there too. Yeah. But there's no space, man. There's no space. So you, it's, a, it's different than boxing, but it's boxing and it's footwork. And, but you work the body, you work the top, you work the bottom, head movement. Like you can't get caught in one of those three corners because there's really nowhere to go. Yeah. There's nowhere to go. It's not like you work the ropes. It's not like the squared circle. It's, it's, it's just different. And it's exciting. And pretty much every fight ends with it's all over just like that. Oh, yes. Kind of cool. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of, you know, you know fifth and final round. You know, there's, <laughs> right. you know, we, we don't get there very often. Right. And so I, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm doing a pilot for another organization, uh, which could be a, a ton of fun. And uh, some other great things on the horizon, but I, I'm very honored that that the the guys at BYB believe in me. They're excited. They believe that I can bring a level of you know excitement and validity, credibility, whatever you know their words are. Yeah. Um, but they're appreciative of what I can bring, and I'm excited to bring that and more than what they hope, and make this the next big thing because I think it it already is. A lot of people are really starting to dig it. Um, and not just here domestically. I mean, there's a ton of Russian organizations and it, it, it was crazy, but it was fun. And this one dude, this pink hair, JD, he's got knocked down five times, gets up every time at the eight count. Let's mm. go, let's go. Ends up winning the fight. Oh, wow. About three days ago, Stefan Bonner has a tweet about him. Because they train together. Uh -huh. Steph said, and JD just had a fight of the year candidate in BYB Extreme. If you don't believe me, ask at Goldie on TV. <laughs> oh, I'm like, JD Burn. I'm like, uh, that's the truth. American Psycho speaks the truth. And it's fun. And it's it's new people and some other people and some people I've worked with before. Um, and it's going to be fun. And it's a new challenge. And it's a new journey. It's, uh, it's a shot in the arm. My wife even said, like, I haven't. I haven't seen you this excited in, in a long time. It doesn't mean I wasn't pumped for the Bellators, yeah. but it's just, it's different. It's different. Something new. Like, yeah. It, it's like the movie, the interview, like same, same, but different. Like Dave Skylark, like same, same, <laughs> but different. Same, same, different. It's right. same, same, different. 
be more effective if we were on video, but I think right. people who saw the interview, Dave Skylark, they know same, same, different, same, same, different. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for it. So we're going to get that going. So here we go inside the Trigon. Oh, I love it. Gives yeah. me chills just, yeah. just thinking about it. And those are yeah. so fun. Those fights. Cause there is, they like, are, there's nowhere for them to go. So you have to fight and it's nonstop action. So you're going to get quite the uh, vocal workout there. I, I definitely, I definitely am. I, I may even prep a little, a teeny bit less because mm-hmm. the sidebar stories aren't going to make it into many BYB battles. That's true. Yes. Not going to be many pauses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. There you know, the old, like, don't let it, you know, don't let the action get in the way of a good story. Right. Um, <laughs> I've been guilty of that at times in my career, I will admit, but uh, a lot of that stuff may stay on that piece of paper and not come out of the mouth as they go uh, toe to toe yeah. and uh, throw some big bombs. But it was, it was crazy. The first event was fun to watch, but to see the footwork and to see the head movement and to see different people, the way they shield and, and block and like Julio Cesar Chavez senior would be great in a trigon because his stance was so unorthodox because he was nonlinear mm-hmm. and he would switch his stances, you know, and he threw those body shots and all of his movement was not as much dictated by footwork as it was moving his body and his head from kind of the hips up. Mm, and right. those are the type of fighters that in the bare knuckle world are going to have success. And the BKFC where Paige is, and Dave Feldman, their group's doing a great job as well. Their space is bigger than the Trigon. Oh, so wow. there's a little bit more movement there. Both are confrontation, there's no question. Yeah. But you get into the Trigon and the concept that Mike Vasquez and the owners that I'm going to be working for have, poof, forget about it. Oh. Here we go. It's all over just like that. Just like that. Well, Mike, that's, that's exciting. And that's in July, but this has been about blast. I didn't even realize it when you said a couple this would, hours. This would be a, a, a pot, what would it be, podcast? Pocumentary. Just make a it a pocumentary. There you go. <laughs> the first ever pocumentary. Yeah. Mike I and like Mike. It. Mike and Mike. You know? <laughs> I love See, it. Greenberg man. and Golick. Greenberg and Golick never liked each other. Yes, I heard that. They were really good. So, yeah, you know, that's true. And I did like each other. So. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, that's we why we like worked. each other. We're good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Mikey, thank you so much for taking uh, taking the time tonight. This has been a blast, man. For me as well. And, uh, you know, you reached out and um, you said, hey, would I do it? And I was like, yeah. And going back to kind of the motivational speaking and stuff, Mike, and I've always had a tough time delegating because it's always like, well, it takes me long to explain it to somebody else. I'll just do it myself. And right. I get caught in the weeds a lot, you know, like 86 back in the restaurant days, you know, you're, you're in the weeds. I need help. I need help, but you don't ask for it. And yeah. Um, a friend of mine a while back said, well, you know what, if, if you're not going to share with others, then you're depriving them of an opportunity to, to enjoy the, the, the things that you enjoyed. I, I taken away the, the Bill Clement moments of my life, the Michael Jordan interview. And right. um, I'm glad you reached out. I was honored by it. And we hit our, we hit back and forth for a long time, but you knew I was going to do it. You know, I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And uh, here we are a couple hours later, having a great time. And all we did was shoot the shit, which is what a good podcast is all about. That's right. I know. I didn't even need my notebook. 
that Ryder took. That, see, that's right. <laughs> hey, I called Ryder. I'm like, Ryder, take your dad's notebook. Because if your dad sits there and reads questions to me, it's going to be a 12-minute interview. Have fun with mom. That's be right. Be nice to your brother. And tell your dad to ad lib. He's a stand-up comedian. Tell your dad to get his shit together. Ryder right. said, you got it, Coldy. And I watched you too. You're cool, man. I said, I'll talk to you later, Ryder. Be cool. Peace out. So, we got you. Be cool, man. Be cool. <laughs> Peace out, bro. Peace out. Yeah, I think he said that to me, actually. The other oh, day. I'm sure Peace that, yeah. Out. Oh, man. But which is weird. I will say this because we have gone back and forth a little bit. And... Normally, when someone does that, you you feel like I feel well. At least I do. I feel like well, they don't want to do it. They were just being nice, and then I'll just leave them alone. But with you, I just it felt different for some reason. I don't know why. And we just kept communicating back and forth. But it's I'm glad we did. I'm glad I didn't give up. Well, and uh, I wasn't going to let you. And once I said that I was going to do it, uh, I wasn't going to walk away either because. I'm a hockey player and make a commitment. You do it. And I'm glad we did. And I hope all of uh, your listeners enjoy it. I, I know that you and I enjoyed it. Yeah. I enjoyed it tremendously. And uh, we'll definitely be staying in touch and we'll give you a little BYB like exclusives as we can. Ooh, that would be awesome. BYB extreme. That would be awesome. We should. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> put Ariel up. We'll put Helwani out of business. That's right. I love I love Ariel. Ariel's always had my back, but you know, we'll, we'll put him out of business. Yeah. We'll, 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 a little we'll friendly competition. Fine. Right. Yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> All right, well, Mikey. Oh, I appreciate uh, it. Let's he, do it again. He's a Knicks fan. He's a Knicks fan anyway. You're a jazz fan. You can't like him. So no. You're, you're all good. No, yeah. they're in the East, though. We don't have to worry about them. That is true. That is true. That is they might have gotten eliminated tonight. Uh, maybe. I know. Maybe. I know. Well, I've always said, because I grew up on the west side of Cleveland, west is best, east is least. So there you go. <laughs> hey, I grew up on the west side, too, so I'm with you. But in the west side yeah. of Utah, so. Well, it's still the West Side. That's right. The best. That's right. We yeah. still represent. Exactly. Peace out. <laughs> All right, Mikey. <laughs> we'll, uh, buddy. we'll talk to you, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. See ya. See you, buddy.